Are you listening? Damn. What is going on, everyone? Welcome to episode two of Black Creatives Take Hollywood, conversations on industry representation from the perspective of black storytellers. I am your host, Casey Davis, and I'm glad to be back for another week. Black Creatives Take Hollywood is being brought to you by my production company, Black Mind Productions. For those that don't know, Black Mind Productions is a media platform that is home to writing, directing, producing, podcasts, photography, and soon to come, short films and documentaries. I am hoping to take this platform of Black Mind Productions with me um, in my career and make something great of it in hopes of becoming a media mogul. So if you don't know what that is, go ahead and head to Instagram and just search at Black Mind Productions and see what we do over there. So, Black Creatives Take Hollywood is a podcast that is home to raw and authentic conversations with current and upcoming creatives who have dreams of being in Hollywood and dominating the entertainment industry. The film industry, as we know, is a wonderful place that is full of passion, drive, purpose, imagination, and most of all, stories. But in this industry, the representation of black creatives on and off the screen, on and off the screen is scarce. I'm gonna go back. But in this industry, we know the representation of black creatives on and off the screen is very scarce. I am an upcoming content creator who, amongst others, is breaking in the industry with hopes to bridge this gap. With this podcast, you can expect to hear from a wide variety of black creators, such as writers, directors, producers, cinematographers, editors, sound designers, production designers, edit, um, actors, and more. You can expect a new guest every week for one hour of conversation where we discuss films, television, their passion for the industry, and their perspective on representation within the industry. So without further ado, let's go ahead and just jump right into the conversation. So I have the great pleasure of introducing this week's guest, Quintrell Rogers. He is a writer and a director and is currently working on his MFA degree in screenwriting here at DePaul University. So, Quintrell, welcome. How are you feeling? I'm feeling pretty good. That's um, good. <laughs> I felt like uh, the, the thing that they say, like the boxing match, mm-hmm. like when they introduce you in a boxing match, like how you feeling? The first thing that came, like, yeah, feeling pretty good. That's good. That's good. He a little nervous, y'all. Yeah, I am. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to make him feel real comfortable. <laughs> so I'm so excited to have you on this episode and on this platform. Um, for those listening, I decided to create this podcast um, just to talk to people who, you know, share the same passion for film as me, who have the same drive to create stories and to also just bridge that gap of the misrepresentation of black faces on and off the screen in the industry. So um, I met a wonderful group of people here at DePaul um, in my second year of grad school studying film. And we decided to create a black filmmaking group. And so I've been thinking about it for a while on how to get black creatives on a platform to share their experiences. And so the group kind of came to me, you know, God brought that to me, but you know, it all worked out and came full circle. And so now we're sitting here talking to you all 
And so we're going to spend the next hour talking to Contrell about um, his passion, writing and directing, and how he feels the industry um, is doing with representing black faces. So can you begin with introducing yourself to our listeners and just telling them who you are and what you do? Um, again, my name is Quintrell Rogers, uh, also known as Vestin Curlew. Um, I meant to say that. I'm so sorry. No, you're fine. You're, fine. you're absolutely <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah, but I'm a writer, director, uh, actor. I do a little bit of production design. Um, so I'm a little bit of everything, a little bit of nothing, I guess. Um, but yeah, I don't remember the question. Like, um, like, it's like, like, where are you from? Like, oh, yeah. You know, what do you plan on doing? I am from Chicago, born and raised. I've been here my whole life. Um, I plan on like making films and telling stories. The whole thing, like my whole thing, my whole interest in film is just the basis of telling stories about like like black people, mm-hmm. um, like mar- marginalized groups, minorities, to show kind of like a different perspective. The other than what we used to seeing, mm-hmm. I got into film. I got into film for like injured, like just like. More or less because of two things, and that's Power Rangers and Family Matters. Okay. Um, family Matters. On the Family Matters side of it, it was because Steve Urkel was one of the only characters I had seen, like, growing up that I felt like I really connected with. Mm-hmm. Like, he was almost like a representation of myself. Okay. Um, and so, that was like, and then, like, after a while, you didn't see too much of that. Mm-hmm. Like, characters like that, you've seen a lot of, like, one-off kind of side characters here and there. You didn't really see a lot of outside of like Disney Channel with that's on Raven and like Fillmore. Mm-hmm. You didn't really see like the, the quirky kind of black kid, right? Um, and that was kind of like what I identified with. Whereas like with Power Rangers, Power Rangers was just it. It. it <laughs> I grew up like I I was potty trained with Power Rangers. Okay. Um, so I've been watching Power. Rangers. I was watching Power Rangers most of my life, and I've always wanted to be on the show. Mm-hmm. And so I was probably like. I was probably like eight or nine, and I called uh, the ABC Studios hotline. It wasn't ABC Studios. It was like ABC, the news channel, but I didn't know the difference. Oh, okay. Um, and so I called them, and I asked them, like, I'm trying to be on Power Rangers. How do I do that? And they was like, well, you called the wrong people. <laughs> and, and they hung up, and I was like, all right. <gasps> they didn't direct you to the they right people? No, That's so no, rude. They didn't give me any information. Um, but from that point forward, I'm like, all right, I'm going to start to create my own stuff. So then at some point, I'll be able to either create Mm-hmm. A adaptation of the Power Rangers series, or uh, I'll become an actor and I'll be on the Power Rangers series. So. That's that's interesting. I've never because it's like two totally different dynamics. Mm-hmm. One is Power Rangers, action packed, you know, child friendly, like all all of those um, exciting things, and then you have Family Matters. That's like. Kid friendly as well, but it's like yeah. family oriented. Mm-hmm. It's very different. <laughs> Two different dynamics, but I think that's what makes um, storytelling interesting mm-hmm. because I feel like as filmmakers, we get to see a wide variety of different genres that we can choose from, and I feel like we have that open playground to be able to pick and choose where we want to go. Like I feel like we all have our our designated like genre that we want to do. Mm-hmm. But then I also feel like we also have that hunger in our minds that says we can do just about anything. Yeah. So we can, action might be your thing, 
but we know that we can also dabble in horror. Yeah. We can dabble in drama. Um, we can create a superhero universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just takes like that team that's behind you that can help you create that project. And then it takes a lot of hard work because I think a lot of people also think that like making films and TV shows is just so easy. And it's not. And I used to too. (laughs) (laughs) Because my dad, he's like a huge movie person, his Mm. favorite movie. He says that he does not have a favorite movie of all time, but I beg to differ because he's a huge Star Wars fan. He's Mm. a huge Star Trek fan. But then he's also a very, very like crucial diehard fan. Like mm. the the first diehard, he knows every single line. <laughs> I kid you not. Like you know how most people know like lines yeah. to a movie? No. <laughs> I remember we did my first quarter here at DePaul last year. Um, we did this assignment in class where the professor gave us pieces of scripts mm-hmm. and we had to go out and we were just practicing like sound. So everybody had the chance to like boom mic and stuff. And for those who don't know what a boom mic is, it's pretty much that mic that you hold over your head um, that you can't see in the camera that gets all the audio from actors. So (laughs) that's all that sound stuff. And so um, I remember reading, looking at the first line. I didn't even see the title. Mm -hmm. I just knew looking at the first line, I'm like, oh my God, this is die hard. And I knew it. And my friends was like, how do you know what Die Hard is? I'm like, one, I'm not that young. <laughs> but two, my dad and my mom, mm-hmm. but more so my dad knows every single line to that movie. And that was like the old script yeah. that they gave us. That wasn't the one that where every line was like what they shot. Um, and so I remember coming home and I think I waited like two weeks because it slipped my mind. And I called him and I'm like, dad, I want to put you to this test. And he was like, what is it? I said, I'm going to read one line right. from this script that my professor gave me. I'm not going to tell you what it is. Let me know what movie it's from. And right. I thought I gave him the hardest line. <laughs> I tried to give him a line that's not known, like yeah. hippie Kaye or whatever. Like, you want to stay alive? Come with me. Like, I wasn't going to give him that line. So right. I gave him one from one of the scenes where the bad guy was in the hotel and he was negotiating, like, this... Um, deal or something my dad's probably gonna have to correct me on this <laughs> but he was like negotiating this deal and he had this this real powerful speech mm-hmm. and i said one line and he was like oh, casey come on that's my heart <laughs> and i was like daddy that's your favorite movie he was like i don't have a favorite movie and i'm like daddy yes you do because my entire life growing up he would watch that movie over and over and over and over again and that was been like i'm young enough but yeah. i'm also old enough to remember like VHS. Mm-hmm. So he had it on VHS and then when it came out on DVD, he bought it like individually. Then they came out with the trilogy set, then he bought the set. <laughs> and he just knows every single line to that movie. But he also does that with like Star Trek too. Mm-hmm. So like the series, huge fan. So that's what pushed me to kind of like be to wanna like go into film. Mm-hmm. Kind of similar to like I had like two different worlds. Like I seen what was in front of my face, like, as far as kids shows, but then seeing these, like, raw, authentic, like, action movies, and seeing, like, the power in the characters, and how these regular human beings Mm -hmm. can get into a different personality, and, like, perform it on a screen, I thought that was absolutely amazing, and then seeing my dad 
say the lines to that to those movies, I was like, okay. I mean, I want to be a chef right now, but I feel like if I ever wanted to do movies, I want my daddy to be able to recite my lines. Right. <laughs> and so I definitely get that mm. that shift of like you see one thing, but then you also see another. And I think that's what starts that creative like yeah. mindset. And that's what makes your imagination like run wild and free. Yeah. It's just seeing the different range of entertainment that can draw an audience member in yeah so yeah that was nice that power rangers to, i like that reference Listen. i like that a lot i'm still i'm, I'm working on um i'm currently working on uh i don't even know what to call it but it's kind of like i'm working on a adaptation of power rangers mm-hmm. but the thing with with power rangers is there's a lot of seasons so there's a lot of different it versions is. but so what i'm working on is basically a kind of like a it's a grittier, but more like it's a more realistic mm-hmm. approach with a comp, but it's a mix of the original series, like the, the original Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, and then like I don't even know what season it is, but like it's a Mystic Force. Okay, it's called Mystic Force. It's right, right, season. right. Um, I just it's, it's it's just because I think that that works better with Rita. Rita being a witch versus like Rita being an alien works better for me. Right. Like, and it's also scarier. Yeah. Because it's. it's if you know anything about like black magic, you know people practice that in real life. Mm-hmm. Aliens exist, but I don't know if Rita Repulsa exists. Aliens may exist, but I don't think right they exist like Rita Repulsa. That so. makes sense, and I think you, I think you have an interesting spin on how you want to do your story. Yeah, um, he can't say too much, y'all. Nah. Y'all just gotta <laughs> wait for it to happen because you know <laughs> us, us filmmakers, we, we real protective <laughs> over our craft. It's like our baby, so we only say so much. But then we all we also say so very little. That's it. <laughs> so do you think like, um, I guess this this is a question. I'm gonna just get off the dome. Are you more so a Marvel fan or a DC fan? I'm more of a. If I had to pick, I'm a Marvel person. Okay. I'm on the Marvel side. Nah. Because <laughs> nah, I, I couldn't. I couldn't be a DC fan because I don't like Batman. You don't like Batman. I don't like Batman. Hmm. Batman. Batman is is honestly the the most OP person like character I've ever met in my life. And Batman fans and like I mean no offense to anybody, but Batman fans are like just as aggressive or intense to me personally as Beyonce fans. So like, oh, you finished third spot. I'm making sure I post this exact moment to social media so people can. The beehive finna chew you up, and the Batman fans are about to chew you up. I'm, listen, they gonna. I'm gonna just have to delete my account. <laughs> but go ahead and explain. But yeah, why like, you said that. so a Batman fan would tell you that Batman can beat anybody. So yep, like, that's my dad. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, Dan. anybody from <laughs> anybody from anywhere. So like, one one that comes up a lot is um, is Batman versus Goku. Mm-hmm. If anybody that don't know, Goku is like a Saiyan from Dragon Ball Z. Yep. Um, and people honestly believe that Batman can beat Goku, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense because this is a person with literal like key bl- like chi blast or like powers or whatever mm-hmm. strength that he's the supposedly at least the strongest person a fighter on in his universe so right. how is batman gonna beat him exactly like, it doesn't make sense 
And like they'll say, be like, well, Batman like studies all his uh, his opponents and this, that, or the third. I'm like, well, yeah, he gotta study the person and, and he lose knows, like, first. Seven martial arts. Like, he knows a tons that. of That's martial. That's my dad's argument. <laughs> <laughs> he knows X, Y, Z. So many forms of martial arts. I'm like, all right, but, like these people don't exist in the same universe. Mm-hmm. So there's no way to say that he knows the martial arts that they know. Exactly. But also, a lot of people's arguments is that is that uh, he studies his opponents or whatever. So he has like a. Um, contingency plan for every member of the justice league and mm. the thing is in order to get that contingency plan he has to know the person closely like he knows the justice league closely mm-hmm. other than that he has to lose first in order to learn the opponent and then come back and then maybe he'll win the second time exactly, exactly. but then like they nobody acknowledges that he has to lose in order to win yeah it's just like he can beat them like nah, he gotta get beat up yeah and try again if, if he survived the fight exactly so it doesn't make sense and i remember Oh, I got into this debate with my dad about this a few years back. He he could probably remember this too, but I remember saying, first of all, let me just say this. I think people on the outside of film, they don't realize that because we're in film, mm-hmm. we don't have to like everything. Listen. We don't have to agree with everything. We are humans too. We have opinions too. This is not like journalism. <laughs> so it's not like you have to be like non-biased like you can think what you want but anyway I remember telling my dad I was like okay I can see how people like Batman Mm -hmm. because he is cool but I'm like I don't look at him as like a superhero Mm -hmm. and he was like well what do you mean I'm like when you think of a superhero you think about somebody who naturally who has natural powers to do something and I was telling him how I think that Batman is cooler than Superman, but I was telling him, like, I think Superman is overrated. And so he was like, well, why do you think that is Superman? I'm like, because I feel like his, like, he has things that can hinder his powers, Mm -hmm. like Kryptonite, and he had to fight like Doomsday, and he has, you know, villains that can severely challenge him. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, I feel like he almost is, like, too easy of a superhero Mm -hmm. it's like he can fly he has super strength he has the ability to do x y and z and it's like it's almost like he has an unfair advantage advantage over people like i'm a marvel person through and through but i really do have a strong like love for wonder woman not just because she's one but because i think like her powers and what she does i feel like she is somebody who we could like really look. I just I don't know. I just I had that argument. Well, that debate. I wouldn't say argument with my dad. And I was just like, I think Superman is overrated, and I think Batman, like he cool, but it's just like it's Batman. It's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, he broke down his side, and I was able to see it. And he was like, Yeah, but he has he knows like twelve different martial arts. Yeah. Like, He's just this, that, and the other. My dad doesn't sound like that, by the way. Because he's probably going to get me like, don't make me sound like that. His voice is very deep. But um, he was like, well, you know, Batman is this. And he knows all these martial arts. And he's smart. And he's like a genius. I'm like, yeah. But it's like, but I know for a fact, I know people, I won't name them, that are definitely going to have something to say. You mentioned Batman. And the Beehive is probably going to. But fun fact. But it's okay. Fun fact. Superman... (laughs) actually couldn't jump i mean couldn't fly until there was a movie adaptation like i think in the 40s or something mm-hmm. and in that movie adaptation they made him fly because originally 
Superman just could jump really high. See, that's what my dad told me. Yeah. See, my dad used to have all those before. comics, and he was like, you know, there was changes they were made. Yeah. And I mean, they're cool. They adapted the source material around the adaptation. Yeah. Which was this. Yeah. I, I just know that because I've seen the video. I watch random videos about random stuff. I do, too. It's usually like, uh, like Watch Mojo. It's like top 20. Uh, you watch Mojo's? Oh, my God. If you met my dad, y'all would get along so well. My dad sends me Mojo videos all the time, especially about movies, like, in general, but, like, superhero stuff yeah. all the time. I was just watching Watch Mojo before, he, before I came out. That's, like, his favorite thing to watch on YouTube outside of, like, crime stuff. Because he's, like, a huge documentary person, so he loves all, like, that yes, crime stuff, and I do, too. Yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, we're, we're nerds like that. <laughs> so, what, what pushed you to really want to pursue a career in writing and directing outside of just seeing um, Power Rangers and just seeing Family Matters and the things that made you want to tell stories? Outside of seeing stuff, because um, my, my, my direct, my usual answer is I was, uh, I wanted to be on Teen Wolf really bad. Mm, um, okay. Because te- at the time, Teen Wolf was on, and I was in his creative writing class. Because I've been writing, I used to do a lot of narrative writing. I've been writing since I was in probably like third grade. Okay. Um, and so I was in his creative writing class in my undergrad, and... I just kept ending up writing scripts, but like they were kind of like play format, but I was mm-hmm. like envisioning them as movies because I didn't know format at the time. Gotcha. Um, but I was just writing these these uh, these scripts, uh, and one of them ended up getting published in the School Literaries magazine. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and from there, I was kind of like, but I was writing those things because I wanted to like, I'm like, all right, I'm gonna write my own stories because then if I start to produce them. I'll get noticed. They'll see me. I can audition for Team Wolf. Mm-hmm. And so that was kind of like the motivation then. But it was also kind of like to just do my own thing with the stories. Because like, like, I'll watch Team Wolf and there would be a storyline. I'm like, that doesn't make sense. Right, right. And so I wanted to. So I created my own universe of werewolves uh, with my own rules and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I didn't make it yet, though. But got you. I got that. All right, stay tuned, y'all. He, he's spilling some, some little bit of tea on what y'all can see. So when you hear or see something in the future, know that it was him. <laughs> so, like, when it comes to writing, what is your process that you go through in writing? And how do you execute your scripts from paper to being in reality on set to directing it? So, so far, I've only directed one thing I've written. Okay. Um, and it was kind of like, a, it was for a class assignment, and it was this thing that uh, just kind of, so we had, I don't even know how it came about. It was really random. Mm-hmm. So, the the concept is, uh, it's a short, and the concept is that this dude, this girl, uh, has a first date. Um, with like it's like a blind date, mm-hmm. and so the guy comes over, but the guy passes out. She thinks he's dead. He's dead. Um, but what it is is he has cataplexy, which is a, a symptom or like a version 
or like a complication with narcolepsy mm-hmm. where if you pass like you can fall asleep and your heart rate can lower to the point where you seem as if you are dead um the <laughs> and so the the assignment was we had like i think we were we were assigned to do a noir so we had to do some kind of like crime situation mm-hmm. um some kind of crime scene investigation um and so the way it goes is that like her friend she has a friend who's a detective he comes over he mm-hmm. looks around figures it out um and at the end, we realized that, like, found out the character. The guy's not dead. He just is asleep. Right. Um, and so with that one, I don't even remember how, I don't remember how that idea came together. The only thing that keeps popping in my mind is, like, a jar of jelly. Mm. And the only reason that that's the thing is because I wasn't originally writing it. Um, someone else was writing it, and, like, they pitched this idea where the crime is that someone gets killed with uh-huh. a jar of jelly. And I was like, all right, I don't know. What's going on with that one? <laughs> so, but it ended up, um, that was just a really random situation, honestly, as far as like writing that and directing it. Cause I don't know, I have no idea where the idea came from. I don't have no, and then like directing it was just like, me, I'm kind of really, I try to, I try to find the, the, when it comes to directing, I try to find the line between um, being an auteur, which is like, mm, like monitoring every detail of like the direct uh, the execution of the script mm-hmm. and then like me as an act like i have an experience i have some experience in acting myself so like i don't want to be over directed as an actor so i don't want to over direct but then i'm like i want this to be very a specific way yeah, yeah. like it has to go like i'm not getting what i need out of here and mm-hmm. i'm like how do i figure out how to communicate that and then that was kind of like a really good learning experience in that situation i never got what i wanted but I did learn that like it's okay to to like keep working to until I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, because in that situation, I think I was I was like insecure because I couldn't I didn't know how to mind that gap between auteur and like actor and like directing an actor and like telling the actor to do telling the actor what to do versus right. like directing them to get what I need. Right. Um, so in that process, it's kind of just like. So me, if I write something, I want exactly what I write. Exactly. Right. So that's kind of like the the way that I, I hope to get it. It's not always like that, though. And that's I think that's the interesting thing about the industry, because like I'm concentrating on cinematography, mm-hmm. but I would want to be a director as I go along in my career. Yeah. Of course, I want to write some things and like get those things produced. Um. Like, I'm working on, like, a TV show concept right now. Mm. So that's interesting because I'm really, really working to get that, like, picked up soon, be the showrunner, win a couple Emmys, you know, be like a little Quinta Bronson. Shout out to Quinta. (laughs) That's my girl. We're going to get on her in a minute. But (laughs) via Issa Rae, you know, be out here. But I think, like, being in film school now and then focusing on, cinematography Mm -hmm. we do still have those moments where we are in class and we make our own projects like homework assignments and surprisingly a lot of my content that i write is always chosen to be produced Mm -hmm. in class which is weird (laughs) and it's not that it's not weird because i don't think that it's not good it's just because oh, y'all really liked it because I, I thought I was struggling. And I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> and so then when, it's, when the torch is passed to me from 
first cinematographer to writer because yeah. of the assignment. But now it's like from writer to me directing it. I'm the same way because I'm a perfectionist at heart. Yes. So it's like, okay, however I wrote this on the piece of paper, I want it to be done exactly how it's written. But then I also had realized taking this directing course last year mm-hmm. that yes, actors want to be directed in the right way that's going to make them comfortable yeah. to be able to execute the character. But then you also have to, I also had to realize for me, like I have to be able to be open to, to small changes within the script. Because yeah. if the line is like, oh, I don't even know what to say. But if the line is like, yeah, bro, I'm going to go to the store to grab some cigarettes for mama or something. Yeah. If you write it like that, the actor might not say the line exactly. just like that. It might be like, hey, bro, I'm going to hit this, you know, hit the corner, you know, get these cigs for mom or something like that. And of course you can come back in when you cut and make sure that they stay on script as much as possible. Yeah. But I think being in that directing class, being the person who was the cinematographer, but then also shifting roles certain weeks to be the director. Right. And then working with trained actors from the theater school, I got to see how open like you have to be as a director, essentially, but not open as if people would think like, oh, you just got to let them do whatever. Yeah. But you have to have that that small piece in your in your mind that's like, okay, they're they're the ones that have to be in this character and then make the character as real to viewers as possible. Right. Because we know what we want what the character's gonna be like, their storyline, but the actors are supposed to make it believable. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you have those lines that aren't going to be said exactly how yeah. they're supposed to be said. And then, like, now I've noticed, too, like, watching certain shows, um, like, the writers will take pieces of the script mm-hmm. and they'll, like, place it on social media and you can see how the script goes. I think then, the yeah. first show I've seen that was Grownish. Yeah, that's where, the one I've, I've seen a few times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, like, I watch P-Valley as well and mm-hmm. I've seen Katori Hall or, like, her team take pieces of the script and then it'll like roll like a reel. Mm-hmm. And then you will see that every single word in the dialogue is not said. Mm-hmm. But then it's it's interesting, too, because when you read it and what it's supposed to be, as opposed to seeing and hearing what they actually said, mm-hmm. sometimes it makes it flows better. Yeah. So I think it just depends on like how like. One, what the story is. Two, who is the character. And three, how the character is supposed to be depicted. Yeah. But I'm the same way. I just be wanting, like, to stick to the script, please. So yeah. That's, like, that perfectionist. Yeah. <laughs> no, for me, me. For me I kinda, I'm okay with, like, ad-libbing if it's, like, whatever mm-hmm. is most comfortable for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you cut out, if I say, if the script says, I'm going to, and then you say, I'm gonna, or I'm finna. Or whatever, like mm-hmm. whatever's most comfortable for you, whatever flows, whatever works with like how you feel the character should be. I'm okay with that. What I, what it is is like when I write something, I have an idea of who the character is, how mm-hmm. they would deliver this line. Not so much as the words, but like the the emotion behind. Yeah, it. Yeah, for sure. And sometimes it's hard to get, it's hard to get that emotion from the actor. Um, and so that's like I think like a lot of times, so it's the the line is different if you deliver it different. So if it's yeah. like it's supposed to be dramatic, and you say. If it's supposed to be like, 
where's the keys and you like where are the keys That's <laughs> exactly where are the keys like right. those are two very different mm-hmm. it's very different so like if i write it in my mind and it's where are the keys that's like more stern more direct more like deadpan-ish yeah if i write it that way then like that's how i want it that's how it should come across more or less exactly that's how i want it to come across like if you if you chain you drop a line or whatever that's a little bit okay mm-hmm. i can live with that a little bit because i do that because i know that certain words aren't comfortable for me and if it's not comfortable for me to say it, then it's not gonna sound authentic when exactly when we start to when we watch it back. Um, but it's like if the emotion, if the emotion or like the intention or like the the characterization that I wrote into there isn't there, mm-hmm. then I can't live with that. And I think that's what made me realize too. Um, jumping into taking it from the paper mm-hmm. to actually seeing it visually, like the actors perform it. I, I learned that very quickly <laughs> that like, and I knew it going in. Cause like, you, like I would watch shows like Martin mm-hmm. and like my wife and kids and all these shows where you see bloopers at the end, mm-hmm. or you will see them break character within With the, the episode. episode. Martin yeah. was very good for that. <laughs> Love Martin. Um, <laughs> but you will see them break character. You can tell like that was definitely ad lib. That's not scripted mm-hmm. at all. And so I knew going in, like, it's not going to always be how you would want it to be. Yeah. But then I learned very quickly, like, that emotion that you were ta- that you were talking about. It's not so much, like you said, like, the delivery of the line or the line itself is more so how the line is delivered yeah. emotionally. Because mm-hmm. the goal is to, yes, draw the audience in visually, but you want to make sure the story is realistic. It's something that people can relate to. It's right. something that hopefully the audience can leave either having a similar experience to what the story is or learning something from it, but feeling uh, uh, feeling a different way than how they came in. Mm-hmm. So I think that's a big part of directing. And so like when we talk about directing, with you being an actor as well, what for someone out there who's listening who wants to direct, mm-hmm. how what are some things that you can tell them... Um, as far as how to talk to actors. Because I know a lot of people probably think like, oh, if I'm directing an actor, you more so have to be like, you have to do A, B, C, D. And you more so working with them to pull the emotion Mm -hmm. out as opposed to just telling them. Mm -hmm. Because directing is not you telling an actor what to do. It's more so you... Guiding. Yes, guiding Mm -hmm. and pushing them to where you want them to go. So instead of saying like, Oh, what did my directing teacher say? It was something specific she said, but it was more so like, if you if this scene is very heavy emotionally and it calls, and you as a director are looking for like hardcore, like a moment where they're bawling, crying, or they're in a moment of severe anger or something, mm-hmm. don't look at the actor and be like, I need you to scream. I need you to cry mm-hmm. right at this moment. Because they're not... They're not going to do that, <laughs> especially trained actors. Yeah. They're going to look at you like, what are you talking about? Don't direct me like that. That's not how I learned. Don't do me like that. Right. <laughs> but you're more so guiding them and you have to sometimes place them into different elements or mm-hmm. give them a scenario like, um, I'm looking to be for you to be in this moment as if 
yeah. this was happening as if that were happening as opposed to you being like no you have to cry yeah. three seconds into the line because nobody's going to do that like if somebody told me that like i need you to cry right now i'm gonna be like what but i don't feel it because they have yeah, to be able gotta, to feel that emotion happening as the scene is yeah. progressing so what would you say to someone who wants to be a director who's not really sure how to talk to actors and guide them. Yeah, I'd say uh, more or less a lot of stuff that you said. I think it's about, like, it's not telling the person to do a thing. It's more like getting the person to do it, like, by comparison. So, like, for instance, if it's a heavy scene, mm-hmm. it'd be more like um, if the if the in the scene, like, the girl, like, it's two people, the one character just got broken up with. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's characters characterizing somebody who kind of, like, uh, not as a pushover, but kind of has been like getting like beat down the entire the entirety of the film, mm-hmm. like over and over. They kind of been getting beat down, but they've been taking it, taking it on the chin, kind of like just uh, pushing through it. And we at the point where if it gets to a point where they get broken up with, that's the final straw. Right. I want to see that that's the final straw. But like you tell them, like imagine or like how would you, like the way I would do it is like basically how do you think you would react if you were mm. you were in okay. the situation. That's a good question to ask them. Or to play to like place them in that mindset. Yeah, so like, or like you pull from like or I'll ask them like, uh, have you ever been broken up with? And they're like, yes or no. Like, mm-hmm. do you know someone who was broken up with if it's a no? And they're like, yeah, I know someone who was broken up with. How did they react? Mm-hmm. How did they, how do you think they felt? How did they tell you they felt? What was their reaction that you seen them do? What was the the emotional the emotional state they were in? Mm-hmm. Um so like, I always try to like the way I would do it is kind of like try to pull, have them pull from somewhere. Whether if it's not like a directly personal place that they can uh, completely relate to, mm-hmm. then it's like, all right, if you know someone, have you seen someone react? Have you seen someone go through this? Even if it's not like you've been broken up with, have you been fired? Because it's kind of like those right. two things that kind of characterize right. similarly. Your your reactions would be fairly similar depending yeah. on those two things. Or like, um, have you been told no? Like if you have you had a crush and they told you no, mm-hmm. that's similar like to being rejection. broken up with. Yeah. yeah, a lot of it is like so. It's like about finding some kind of like commonality between the, the actor and the character, so that they can get to that place that the characters because they haven't actually gone through everything the characters gone through. Right. But it's about like getting them to the place to feel like they have gone through everything yeah. the characters gone through. Yeah, I love that. I love like how you said like almost placing them into that scenario and that headspace to asking them those questions Mm -hmm. because i know like there are some scenes maybe written in certain things where um someone's probably like getting a divorce or something Mm -hmm. and then you might have that actor or actress who's never experienced like their parents breaking up or who come from a single parent household or something Mm -hmm. but i think placing them In in that scenario like okay if you say we're married or are married currently, and then, like, you were to break up, mm-hmm. how do you think you would feel? And so I think that's a really good way to start to relate to your actors mm-hmm. is just getting to know, like, who they are individually, but then learning how they've developed their characters. And I know I watch, like, a lot of interviews with um, actors and they talk about their process mm-hmm. with each character. And, of course, each character that they portray, they build on them differently. Yeah. 
But I know that every time I listen to them, they always say something similar in like, in terms of like, I just have to place myself in that person's shoes. Mm-hmm. Um, and one actress that really stood out to me was Taraj P. Henson. I absolutely love her. And she was doing an interview a few years back on the Arsenio Hall show when mm-hmm. it came back. <laughs> and they were talking about Baby Boy. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the sex scene that her and Tyrese had. Um, and so he asked her, Arsenio had asked her, like, how how did you process, like, getting into that and getting into character? And yeah. she was like, well, when I read it in the script, I was like, damn. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm paraphrasing her words. Yeah. It's not exactly what she said. But she was more so like, I was like, damn, like, ooh, I got to do this sex scene. But not just the sex scene. Where it's like the silhouette type of lights. I'm doing this like nude. Yeah. Like you're going to see my actual body parts. And she was like, um, she just had to really channel who Yvette was yeah. and like who she is at that time. And mm-hmm. in that moment where it was like, okay, this is not Taraji doing this because Taraji won't do this. Yeah. But Yvette, she going to get down. Yeah. How she get down. <laughs> so it was like... Okay, let's figure out how to channel this. So I think she said she got into the mirror and she was just like, okay. Like the night before and was like, okay, you got this, you got this, you got this. And then she said it was so different because Tyrese had got the set and he was just like, I don't want to do it. I'm so scared, I'm so scared. <laughs> and she was like, boy, like snap out of it. Like the quicker we get it done, the quicker we can get past <laughs> get it and just it. keep filming yeah. and do whatever. But I think just like hearing her like share her experiences or hearing like how Viola Davis gets in the character, Carrie Washington, Desna Washington, Will Smith, and just seeing like behind the scenes of movies and like when you see them off to the side when they're not talking mm-hmm. to anybody. And most people think like, oh, they must be tired. Like, yeah, they're probably tired, but they're also in that moment too. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, they might have just had a very intense scene. Give them time to step off because now they have to come down right. from being in that moment of emotion Mm -hmm. so i definitely think like asking like actors those questions to put them in those scenarios and in those you know those boxes to get them to give you the performance that you're looking for as a director but again don't tell actors what to do they don't like that at all (laughs) you never want to tell an actor how to act Mm -mm. you kind of got to trust them to Trust them to do what they what you hired them to do. Exactly. And I think, too, what a lot of people don't realize either is, like, when, once they're chosen and they're casted, at that point, when, you, when they're chosen, you know that they are capable of what you're looking for because mm-hmm. you trust them with that process. Yeah. So now at that point, now you just have to really trust them to execute the final result of what you're looking for. Yeah. So... I like yeah. the I like uh, collaborative experiences. So I like actors who where where like the experience can be a collaborative experience where it's not like I don't mind if an actor goes and like they do the Viola Davis thing where they write down a journal. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, just like I have to accept that the way that you're going to do this is going to be a little bit different than what I envision. I feel like the, the acting. I like when actors are open to like, all right, the way that I characterize this character might be a little bit different. Like, might be might be a little bit different than like uh the way that we're going to go about it. Yeah. I think there has to be oh you have to be open on both ends of it because yeah, like, for sure. sometimes the actor like me as an actor I, I go in with a clean slate um and I figure out as much as I can about the character. 
uh, if they tell me to figure it out, like it's up to me, then like I make all the decisions. Yeah. Um, but then it's like the director's like, all right, they had this kind of experience, this experience, whatever, whatever. Then I implement all of that into, and then build around it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that's just like uh, any anything that's collaborative. Like when you have like production designers, or DPs, and all of those, when the experience is more collaborative, it always works better for me. Yeah, I love that. I love that. So. When it comes to writing um, and directing, well, more so writing, Mm -hmm. what would you say has been or is one of the biggest challenges that you face being a black writer that is making your way through, like, into the industry? Just with the writing process? Like, my writing process was to talk to a challenge with that or, like... Because I think, like, for me, I think I try to defy things a lot of the time. So, like, I write stories that you wouldn't traditionally see a bunch of black people in. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, right now I'm writing a, medi- a medieval piece. Uh, it's a Dracula adaptation. Okay. Um, and it's all black characters uh, in, like, medieval times with the exception of, like, as, as of right now, the only character that's not black is, mm-hmm. is uh, the vampire. Okay. Um so yeah, like I think I think I tend to I don't feel like I face any challenges as of yet. Okay. Just because I'm not I haven't pivoted and hadn't hit any roadblocks or anything like that. Gotcha. Um I think at some point there could the challenge could be I think one of the challenges I do think uh that arises is trying to like the only word I keep coming to my mind is dumb down, but it's not dumb down, it's kinda like mm-hmm. diversify um, yeah. more so. Uh everything that I write. So I feel like I have to I can't just write all black characters. So, like, I feel like I have to... I've been working on this. Um, it's actually my thesis. Mm-hmm. The Dracula adaptation. Um, and I'm like, I got to implement more white characters. or more, like, non-black characters. But I'm like... I don't personally feel like I should in this... At this stage. Just because of the simple fact that... What I'm trying to do is tell this story about... Um... Africans in medieval time, mm-hmm. like ancient African creatures, mm-hmm. um, as they relate to Dracula, and like, it's more of a highlighting. It's kind of like it's more Black Panther, black but even Black Panther had right like Everett Ross and uh, the one with the arm. I can't Ulysses Claw. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they even had like the two, the two white characters in there. Right, I think that was all and their cast was predominantly um, black. Yeah, like the main cast was. Absolutely, like completely black. The main cast was, and then they had the two, they had Everett Ross and then Claw, and then they had the people at the art gallery. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so do you think that once you break into the industry, you would choosing to diversify your characters? Do you feel like that comes naturally from? Um, how the industry looks at black people only trying to write black stories or is it just a personal choice to make sure that you're being as inclusive to the story without taking away from the main characters being black i think at this stage since it's so early i think it's more of a reaction to feeling like i would have to i'll be i would be um what's the word i'm looking for not I'd be essentially like flagged or mm-hmm. like uh, have a negative negative mark against myself as a writer because there aren't 
more than just black characters. Um, it's right. kind of like a precautionary approach right now, so early right. on. So I think that's the thing you think about, like, in the 10th draft when you're working with a producer at that mm-hmm. point. But, like, right now, I'm on my second draft. Okay. Um, taking a third draft, and I'm already thinking about, all right, I might need to add in uh, more white characters. Okay. And not make the white characters all evil. Because, honestly, that's kind of like, the, I think part of my hesitation with that is that's a little bit of a trend. Yeah. Um, person like for me personally as a writer, uh, so I have a a slasher film uh, where all my main characters are black, mm-hmm. um, and it's about this family who lives in this neighborhood, who lives in this predominantly white neighborhood, mm-hmm. um, and it's Christmas Eve, and it's like it's a spin on the whole narrative of it's basically if I had to give you a high concept, it's Halloween meets Get Out, I guess. Okay. Um, so basically Santa Claus is a retelling of the, the origin of Santa Claus. Um, and Santa Claus is the serial killer. Got you. Um, okay. But in that, so Santa Claus is white. Uh-huh. The neighbors are white. And Santa Claus is kind of like functionally, it's a white savior kind of trope. Mm-hmm. Where Santa Claus, what he's doing is he's saving the white people from blackness. Because there's like three black, there's a third black family that moves into the neighborhood. Uh. And at this point... The white neighbors are like, all right, Santa Claus, we need you to get them out of here. Right. And so Santa comes the same way he would if you write a, like, a, like supposedly if you write a Christmas letter. But mm-hmm. the neighbors write the letter and ask him to come to clean up the neighborhood. And he comes and takes out all the black folk. Oh. So all of my, in that, that's one of the things where all my white characters are evil. Got you. And then so in my Dracula adaptation, my one white character is... It's not the antagonist, but it's a vampire, and the vampire is kind of like antagonistic. Okay. Um, okay. And so I think that I'm self-correcting because I noticed that trend. Got you. Okay. I like that concept. I think I only asked that because I noticed that when black creators say that we're writing, we want to write more content, or our target audience. Or our target, um, I don't even know the word, mm. but our core of where we get our stories from is more so for black people because we want to see more representations mm-hmm. of us. I think a lot of people naturally are like, well, why don't you want to put like white characters or Native American characters yeah. or Asian characters? And it's like, it's not that we're, I think they try to twist it mm-hmm. on black people and they make it like just fully about race yeah and it's like yes it has something to do with it partially but that's not the core yeah and i remember when i um developed black mind productions it was actually a class assignment when i got my first master's mm-hmm. and we were in like you know this one of these classes where they teach you like social media platform and then starting a, like a business right. and um, cause my first master's in media management so we were in one of those type of classes okay. where we had to create a brand and a company um, that was media related. Mm-hmm. So some people did like uh, like talent search type of things. Some people did apps that allow you to book different gigs. Mm-hmm. And then I developed Black Mind Productions. And at first it was just a class assignment. And then I remember going in and presenting it. The feedback, it was like me, um, my friend Greg, you know who Greg yeah. is. 
and then Asha, my friend Asha was in the class, and I think it was like maybe two other black people in the class. And so they understood, mm-hmm. like, okay, this is what the brand is. This is the target audience. This is the type of content I'm trying to create. Right. This is why I created it. But then everybody else, <laughs> <laughs> mostly everybody else, uh, that when the class was white. And so yeah. I got a lot of feedback of like, well, you said that you want to maybe turn this into something real. Would you? So everybody you want to hire on your like crew and as a part of the team and a family would be black. Yeah. And I said, yes. And they said, so you just want to only create black stories. I said, yes, through Black Mind Productions. Yeah. I don't see anything wrong with that. Yeah. And so I remember somebody was raised their hand. They're like, but I feel like that's not fair to people who aren't black to not include them in the stories. Yeah. And so it was taking up my presentation time, <laughs> but I had to address it. And I said, what makes you think it's unfair? And they were like, because I feel like you should, as a filmmaker, you should want to be inclusive. Now, I never said that I never want to not be inclusive yeah. and work with white people, Asian people, Indian people, whoever. Yeah. But my thing is like, I want to represent black stories. I want to tell black stories. The right. goal is to help bridge the gap of misrepresentation in the industry. Mm-hmm. So that's one of my core goals and why I'm so passionate about making films outside of just telling stories. Mm-hmm. Like This is what drives me is to see more people on screen and look like me who aren't negatively depicted stereotype or um, like profile. Yeah. So that got a, a lot of negative backlash but I feel like when I go into like the television show that I'm creating um I'm working on now it's been a concept of mine for at least a year now Mm -hmm. so now I'm in the stages of like developing characters and I've been asking Greg a lot of questions um he'll be a guest on here very very soon (laughs) (laughs) he's a screenwriter but I've been Using him as like um, like a tool for yeah. me, like a resource to ask him those questions because I'm not naturally a writer, yeah. but I do know that I have stories that I want to tell. And so I re- remember like thinking of this concept, I was like, okay, I want this show to be based here because I'm from Detroit, born and raised. So the, the show will be based in Detroit, mm-hmm. talking about the East Side and we're looking at high school students. Okay. But when you look at public school systems, the majority of the students are black. So I'm yeah. like, this is going to be pretty much an all-black cast. I would love the crew to be all-black. I want this to be a black mind production like project. Yeah. But I remember when I first started developing like the idea and taking it from my mind to like notes, the first thing in my head was, damn, people are not going to like it because they're going to be like, she is not, she's being racist because she's not putting white people in her story. But I'm like, I don't feel like every story should have to include someone that's not black. That's how I was thinking at that time. Yeah. And so I remember when I, um, this is like when I first started it. And at the time I was in a screenwriting class. It was my first time being in a screenwriting class. Mm -hmm. And I remember my professor who, who was black, or she is black, but um, she was like, I see what you're saying, but you can't say it like that. <laughs> <laughs> she was like, I, I get you. I'm with you a thousand percent. But 
you can't go into the industry think like because she was like, it's nothing wrong with like I know what you're trying to say, but yeah. I think my delivery about it was wrong mm-hmm. because I, I think people were just making it seem like, oh, she doesn't like anybody but black people. Yeah. And I remember her telling me like, you can tell a completely black story and have like white characters, yeah. or Asian characters, but I think at that time that was me jumping into. It was my first time taking a screenwriting class. That was my first time actually getting my hands on writing. Mm-hmm. I just knew what I wanted to see in my mind. So I figured, okay, well, if none of the characters in my mind are uh, not black, yeah. then I don't really care to put them in there. But then after writing a little bit and then having workshops and stuff, I was like, okay, this can still be a black story, mm-hmm. even with characters who are white. But then I also noticed, too, that when certain black students would write their stories. Most of the, their main characters would be black, yeah. but they would make the white person in almost every assignment the villain. Yeah, so when I so one thing I was going to say was the you said um it was the your initial thinking about like you don't think that a person you necessarily need a person a non-black person if the story don't fit it or whatever. That made me think about the thing that uh Tim Burton said. Tim Burton said something exactly like that mm-hmm. um, because he's been what's the word? He's kind of been like called out a few times for being racist because he doesn't use black characters. He doesn't write black characters in mm-hmm. um, most of his stuff, and then anytime he does, they're kind of like morally ambiguous or like morally uh, what's the word? I can't think of the word, but they basically like, they're usually antagonistic characters. Right, right. Um, and that came up recently because with Wednesday, there are about three three black characters in Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, one is like the school resident uh, evil, I mean, like the resident mean girl. Mm-hmm. The other one is kind of like, he's suspected. I haven't, I haven't seen the show. This is just based on what I've seen on the internet. Yeah. Um, but he's suspected to kind of be like the overarching antagonist he's kind of like morally questionable mm-hmm. and then like the mayor is also kind of like in a moral gray area of something so he's depicted as like more like morally contaminated i guess yeah um so that was like one of the things that jumped out at me because i was like if that's the approach and that's what the, that's one of the reasons i try not to lean that way because i'm like if it, if it were reversed i'd have an issue with it exactly and i wouldn't want to like be hypocritical but at the same time it's like I can just I try to I can I feel like I can justify it because mm-hmm. in specifically like in Game of Thrones, um, there are there's probably like off the top of my head it's like one black person. It's probably a few more, mm-hmm. you know, because then you got like the, the light skinned black people. Um, so it's like uh, eventually it becomes like five black people in right. Game of Thrones right. but that's largely like a white story because it takes place in medieval times in mm-hmm. like Europe or whatever and like the idea is there weren't many black people in the medieval times because the slave trade wasn't that popular or whatever right. realistically that's not accurate but you'll buy into it because of the nature of the show mm-hmm. so I feel like if you have a show that takes place in like um, in a certain area where it's like your characters are part of like the people there are predominantly black so like in my example with the dracula series on the the area that we're in is conquered by like africans has been conquered by africans and africans wouldn't let non-africans into this area right because they know the history they know like they don't want they took it from them for a reason Mm -hmm. uh 
in your example, it was a public school setting, like you might have in the public school setting, the more likely, the most times you'd have a white person as a teacher. Yep. Uh, so I think on one hand, it's like I wouldn't like it if it was done. But at the same time, I'm like, if this is your experience, this is the experience you've had. This mm-hmm. is like the way that you recall. You tell the story. You tell that story for like, that way for a reason. Yep. So I think if you if that's the case, like if that's the way that it really happened, then like then. Yeah, you can and justify. I think, and I think that's where the the beauty of storytelling comes in because it does take time to develop your world yeah. and these characters and what you want them to go through. Right. And I I did I learned a lot from that screenwriting class cuz like my like I never went in like just like bashing yeah, where yeah. people were saying like oh hell no like all my characters <laughs> going to be black because I said so but it was more so like a well I want to see me yeah. on TV more or in film more outside of whatever we normally see or see like um like that black best friend yeah, of the that's show. Exactly. So it's like, okay, the cast can be mainly black. And then you but get a, a white best friend. Yeah, but then you know, you know, my screenwriting teacher was like, she told everybody, not just this wasn't just targeted at yeah. me, but she was more so telling everybody like be open to including other people. Because there were also white students in the class that every character was, was essentially white, white too. Yeah. And she was like, I don't think that it's anything to do with race. I think it's just our natural... Reaction. Yeah, because yeah. it's like, where we come from, it's like, if I'm going to set this story in Kentucky, nobody's going to think for real, or like Kansas or something, oh, I'm going to have this show based upon like five black people and a <laughs> white person wrote it they're going to be like... I don't really know that many black people from no Kansas. But I think it's just like a natural thing for Mm -hmm. people in general. It's like, okay, if I'm writing a story about something in the hood, I'm writing black characters. But then it's also white people in the hood, too. And then vice versa. I'm going to write a story about this white family in the suburbs, but there's black people in the suburbs, too. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just opening your mind as a storyteller to be able to be as inclusive as you can. And I think that's the beauty of like Film and like storytelling is like playing around with those different avenues of like where your story could potentially go. Because you never know how much you might need that white person to be in your script (laughs) to make the story, to carry the story along. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Um, So my next question would be. Ooh, we just we hit the hour mark, too, but it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) Um. Which one do I want to ask you? Okay, I think we can get through these. So, can you name your favorite black writers and directors? And how do you, as a filmmaker, relate to them? Um, so, I'm a lot like your dad. And I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I don't have a favorite. Um... Especially like writers, I don't really know too many writers except like writer directors. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I had to pick people that I'm in, like that I am like fans of right now, I'll say Ryan Coogler, um, yep. and Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. uh, Stephen Glover because mm-hmm. he's the writer usually. I think was it Donald Glover? One of them was the writer, the, the Glover brothers. <laughs> yep, <laughs> the Glover brothers. <laughs> For sure. Because, <laughs> uh, like, I know that Stephen Glover either directs or writes, and then Donald writes and directs. 
um, but those guys, mm-hmm. um, those are people that I'm, I'm currently fans of right now. Mm-hmm. I think that Ryan Coogler, I think I, I like a lot because he writes himself, like like authentically himself. Right. If you pay, like, not pay attention, but like if you look into like at Fruitvale Station and mm-hmm. then look at Black Panther, first Black Panther, mm-hmm. Michael B. Jordan is essentially the same person. Yep. Just because he carried, like, he took a character, I think Killmonger, I don't know where Killmonger's originally from. I think he might be from Harlem or something. I think, yeah. In the comics. Yeah. Um, but he made him from Oakland because he's from Oakland. Mm-hmm. Um, Fruitvale Station, I think, was a personal story to him because uh, the guy was from Oakland. Mm-hmm. And he's from Oakland. So, like, he, he, you get a lot of sense of who he is as a person and, like, who he is as an individual. Right. Through, like, the stories that he tells. Right. Um... So I think that and like that's one of the things that I do because like every person, every character I write is some kind of reflection of myself. Yeah. And I think that that's a thing that he does that we have in common. And I think and it works for him. So I'm like, I'm gonna lean into it. And I like that you said that each character that you write is a reflection of yourself because I've been learning as I've been developing my characters. Like, that's a good avenue to take mm-hmm. to create a character. Yeah. Is to look at like your own strengths and weaknesses, your own insecurities and the loves that you have for yourself because you can take those pieces and create like a stellar character. Yeah. Um, I like that a lot. And I love Michael B. Jordan. Mm, <laughs> that is like my husband in my head, y'all. For those that know me, y'all know how I feel about MBJ. Oh <laughs> so who would you say, um, oh no, can you name this was hard because when I interviewed um <laughs> Jordan a few episodes ago, mm-hmm. he had a you know a bit of a struggle with this okay. one. But can you name five black like filmmakers, storytellers, actors, however you want to name it? Um, that you want to meet and work with during your career. That I want to work with during my career. Mm-hmm. And uh, or meet. Well, I guess meeting, working with them is you have yeah, to meet them. Yeah, you them. But. <laughs> yeah. Um. And then I'm gonna name mine. Okay. It's not hard. It's just a matter of like I take stuff too technically. I think of things too technical. Um. It don't have to be in a specific order either. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to say Ryan Coogler for mm-hmm. sure, uh, Jordan Peele, mm-hmm. Kiki Palmer. Oh, yeah. Um, my, it's just like I keep getting the image of uh, John Boyega. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... It's, it's it's real hard because it's like it's a lot of people. It, yeah. When I start to try to think of people, it's like it's a it's yeah. a, a bunch of them. But just just uh, these and like these are my top five. These are just five. Mm-hmm. So um, it's one more, and I just had him. I lost it. Um, dang, Donald Glover. Just cause. Okay. That's what's <laughs> that's what's playing in my mind. Right. Donald Glover. Right. Okay, um, let me name mine. Cause see, this was hard too, and I, I, I had told Jordan the other day, like I feel like it's not gonna be the same answer Thank as you. when we did it. Mm-hmm. But um, 
I would say Quinta Brunson, mm-hmm. Kiki Palmer, Angela Bassett, mm-hmm. Denzel Washington. Mm-hmm. And I don't know who the fifth one would be. I would probably say Ryan Coogler as well. Mm-hmm. That's I'll probably say Ryan Coogler as well. For sure. Um because I think that um I just like what he does yeah. and like how he writes his stories. But there's plenty of more people. Like there's of course I wanna meet Oprah, I wanna meet like Will Smith, I wanna meet um like Viola Davis, Kerry Washington, Taraj B. Henson, but my answers are definitely different now than what then they were. Yeah. <laughs> when it's I feel like every so. time, every time that question come up, you'll have a different five. Mm-hmm. I, like for me, I don't have a top five. It's just like those are like the five that came to mind. Because like yeah. I was just talking about, not talking about, but I was watching um, a video with Kiki Palmer earlier, uh-huh. and it it kind of re- reignited my crush on her. So. Oh, you got a crush on Kiki. I didn't used to, but I do now. <laughs> what shifted it? I didn't. Uh, I don't know. It was just. I just because like I don't know. I honestly don't know. I realized how close in age we were. Ah, uh, got you. And I was watching the the one where she reads the tweets. Oh no, she asks. She answers the most Google questions about herself. Okay. And I was like, "Yo, I want to meet Kiki Palmer." I think I. I really admire Kiki Palmer because she is unapologetically herself. Yeah. And like she's been in the game for a very long time. What did she say a few months ago? I think it's like at least 20 years because she's 29. It's about, yeah, about 20. Because she got in. She got in when she was nine. She was doing barbershop. She was nine. On the set uh-huh. of barbershop, she turned 10. Okay. Yep. So, so yeah, she's just at years. like 20 years mm-hmm. now. But I just love like what she's doing for the culture, like with Key TV. I would yeah. love to be like a PA and then build my way up yeah. for like Key TV. Um, and then probably shift over to like Hooray Media, um, Issa Rae's Cup. Like that's yeah. another person. Like I named yeah. Issa Rae the other day <laughs> and then named her it. just now because it's like there's so many people that she want to meet. You mentioned um, that earlier. <laughs> and then like I would want to, I don't know, I just want to, like, meet so many wonderful, yeah. like, black people within the uh, industry. Yeah. And I think that it, like, I want to meet so many people that are already here and that have created that path for me to go down. But I mm-hmm. also am excited to meet the up and coming. Yeah. Like, creators. Yes. And I think that's what, like, this podcast um, is giving me the opportunity to do as well as like listeners is giving everybody the opportunity to like talk about who they love and who they admire and who they want to work with but also get the audience introduced to new people yeah. that's like us that's coming up who want to walk in their shoes when it's like their time to pass that torch to us right. and so I think that's the beauty of being black telling black stories doing it for the culture um and just authentically being a storyteller yeah. and a filmmaker. So, one last question okay. before we go. Um, do you have any specific goals that you want to accomplish during your career? Of course, we know that you want to write 
indirect, mm-hmm. maybe act as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but are there any other goals that you want to reach? Um, I guess my my biggest through like thing is probably to be the Red Ranger. Um, and like Power Rangers adaptation. Period. But beyond that, <laughs> I kind of just want to. I just want to tell stories. Uh, I just want to tell stories uh, of people like myself, mm-hmm. um, people that look like me, but more specifically, like people that look like me and don't feel represented in TV. Cause mm-hmm. Like growing up, I was always kind of like an oddball, awkward. I call myself my my TV, my radio show was actually like uh, called Random Ramblings, and the purpose of that like. Angle was life through the lens of an awkward black guy, mm-hmm. um, and so I just want to make content for the awkward black boys out there. Also, like to make content for like to just show the multifaceted. To I never know how to use that word, but how like layered black people are. Yeah. Um. So I've always just my goal is just to push the boundaries as much as possible and um make as much black weird stuff as possible i love that <laughs> so. I, I absolutely love that well Quintrell, thank you so much for joining me for this almost hour and 15 minute conversation <laughs> <laughs> i told everybody in the beginning it was going to be an hour and we went over time <laughs> that's fine that's that's the beauty of conversations um thank you so much for coming on and thank being you. a guest and sharing your experience and your story and your goals um, we go to school together, yes. so we probably gonna see each other yes. more. <laughs> those listening, but I wish you all the best of luck. I appreciate it with everything you do in your career, and I'm hoping that we can work together one Listen, day. I got a couple. Uh, I was just talking to Jaden recently, so mm-hmm. I got some stuff to run by you. Oh. Hey, listen, let me go ahead and end this so we can talk business. You know what I'm saying? So, <laughs> but I thank you. I appreciate you for no having me on there. No problem. No problem. You'll probably hear him again <laughs> in the future. And it's probably going to be some ladies that's probably going to be like, oh, my God, who is that? <laughs> <laughs> but um, thank you all for listening to episode two of Black Creatives Take Hollywood, conversations on industry representation from the perspective of black storytellers. I am your host, Casey Davis, and again, this podcast is being brought to you by my production company, Black Mind Productions. Go ahead on Instagram and just search at Black Mind Productions. Follow that page, like some stuff, share some stuff, and just be on the lookout for more content. Again, thank you all for listening. Um, I love you all. Thank you so much for your support, and I will see you in the next episode. Until next time.